Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Well, Smishy, it's us again. It's us again. Smishy, what would you like to talk about today? Well, I mean, something that we've been talking a lot about is freedom. Mm, That's a good one, especially the aspects of personal freedom and collective freedom. Yeah. What's the difference? Well, I mean, I think that we need to be free as populations of people. We need freedom. We need laws that allow the healthy flow of freedom to create so we can be a, a productive, happy, healthy species. And I think we need uh, personal freedom because none of us come from any balanced, healthy history. So we have a lot of work to do. We, We need personal freedom to do that work. I think right off the bat, it so makes me think of the difference between the word freedom and the word liberty. And they are two entirely different meanings. What are they? Well, liberty is the right to pursue whatever you want to, the right to do what you want to do. It has no thoughts of others or who it will impact. And freedom is the freedom to pursue life, health, purpose. Your every human right comes within the definition of freedom. In fact, Freedom is the absence of subjection to sovereign domination or despotic government, the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved, the state of being physically unrestricted and able to move easily, the state of not being subject to or affected by a particular undesirable thing, and One of the last definitions is the power of self-determination attributed to the will, the quality of being independent of fate or necessity. I love that. Oh, it's so beautiful. In a little collection called Paris Talks, where the talks of Abdu'l-Bahá, I believe it was in the year... I could be mistaken, but I think it was 1912 when he was in Paris. Uh, He spoke in many areas in Paris. And in one of those collections, again, I, I hope I'm not mistaken of misidentifying where it took place, but he gave a talk about freedom and liberty. And he warned us about us being humanity about liberty. And I think it was a time of a lot of libertarians. And he said, know thou that the sign of liberty is the animal, which I thought was fascinating. And so he's not talking about specific animals or the kindness of animals or the gifts and the virtues of animals. He's talking about the animal part of us. You know, not not anything that leads to creating and production and connection and evolution. 
It's fascinating. Sushi, what does the word freedom mean to you personally? It's more of a feeling to me. Without the burden of constraint, but not natural constraints. You know, obviously, like, I believe in the law of gravity. That's a constraint. (laughs) I can't fly. But without the burden of constraint, whether it be learned or um, inherited or projected. I love that. It makes me start wondering why we would even have the need for the word freedom. We are born with 100% dependency on our mother. Isn't that crazy? Until we're like 18. Well, especially though in the beginning, you know, if babies, for example, you know, in that uh, wonderful uh, older German study about babies that were treated just perfectly, they gave the most clean and in fact, sterile environment in a nursery and they were clothed and fed and everything, but they were not held and they were not loved and they were not nurtured. Those babies died. And isn't it incredible that babies born in the most inopportune situations, the most filthy environments live when they have a mother's love and a mother holding it and a mother caring for it. Even if she is malnourished, the baby will live. And we're like the most, they say uh, that of all the creatures of this earth, humans are the most vulnerable when they're born, the most helpless of all creatures. So we're 100% dependent on our mothers and 100% of that small new connection really depends on the father supporting uh, the mother and the baby if we want to have the ultimate outcome. So it's the opposite of freedom. When and where did we discover we had a need for freedom and why? Freedom from what? What do you think? I don't know. It's so big. That's why you and I keep unpacking it. Did we start to need freedom because of the way our parents interpreted uh, being 100% responsible for us? Mm. Like, when did that become a problem or a distortion? Or, you know, we imitate our parents, our same-sex parent. They say we imitate them until we start to develop the modality of analysis. And then we take it apart and go, wait, I don't want to imitate this one thing, or I hope I don't become that one thing. So it's not that you destroy the bond. It's that you begin to evolve Mm -hmm. from the freedom to do so. I don't know if that's where it comes from, but that's my first impression. Or is freedom from a a condition, Smishy? Is it like an outer condition? Do you go to places where you are free or feel free? Yeah, I think it's across the board. I mean, there's spaces that I feel more free in than others. There's people that I feel more free with than others. Different things evoke different levels of freedom from me. Can you give an example? 
Um, oh, I mean, I guess for me, freedom is, is closely associated with safety. Mm-hmm. So if I feel really safe with a person, then I can, you know, I open up a lot more. I feel free to just be myself. Or if there's certain friendships or relationships that I have where I'm in a very specific role in that relationship. I'm not, I don't get to just be my whole self with that person. They want me to be something to them or they've, they've sort of without words, you know, but it, it's sort of like a role that I play and it's an unspoken thing where they need that from me and I give it to them. And depending on who it is, I agree or not. I'm not free to be myself, my real self. I'm just free to express this little part of me that benefits them somehow. Isn't that so fascinating? So you're talking about freedom of relationship and relationship dynamics. And when you have 100% freedom to be yourself, that's when you can be the most free. And therefore also what comes from freedom, which is like, creativity, creativity of of awarenesses, of opportunity, of expression, you know, back to the concept of being 100% dependent on our mothers when we're born. Um, It's fascinating to me that she gives you life itself. And I mean, on every level, protection, safety, also looks at you. Uh, They say that our IQ goes up if the mother, when she's nursing you, looks into your eyes the exact distance from the mother's eye to the crook of her elbow stimulates the optic nerve in the infant's eye and the brain behind it. And that is the most crucial time for the IQ to be built. Wow. At a certain age? It happens at birth. So if your mother truly tenderly cared for you, it is actually the source of your intelligence for your future life as an adult. And if she nourished you, your blood, bones, cellular development, cartilage development, organ, gland, and system is all due to what she gave you. So that stage is something that can't be replaced later no matter Even if you go to Ivy League schools or have the best mentors, that crucial time is that which prepares you to be able to receive everything you do in the future. Wow. But what about babies that are born into compromising situations? There are such miracles. That's why there's many ways to help a child and help a baby, uh, not to mention the abstract part of life which is the great mysteries of how we make it. However, it doesn't mean that you won't have remnants. For example, if you're born with malnutrition, like if you see a child that wasn't nourished and they have bow legs because their legs couldn't fully form, couldn't finish developing, you can give them extraordinary nutrition later, but they'll always have the remnant that shows us their origin. You know, their little story is still inherent in the progress. Of course, we can progress, but it's always there. But isn't it interesting that once we have that stability, that's what means and allows creation to be infinite. 
can be so creative once you have a foundation underneath you. Yeah. Well, because you also have more knowing. You you have more of yourself. Hmm. That's true. And same with you were saying, freedom, uh, safety. If you have safety, you can do anything. If you're not safe, how can you be creative? You're in survival. You're literally in the survival parts of our brain, the occipital part of the brain. Uh, when you're safe is when you get inspired because you can use other parts of your brain. They are free to. You're not in fight or flight where you cannot create anything. It is so remarkable when you think about that. Peoples need safety, all peoples. It's a basic need. And I remember my dear friend and mentor, Margaret Fields Keen, towards the end of her life, she was always so very keen on efficiency. She was the most efficient person I've ever met. And one of her great <laughs> accomplishments is in the end of after having developed her own form of kinesiology, she created what she called the list. And she said, the list is what we all whittle down to. We need these things on the list. And no one could stay here without receiving the things on the list. And uh, gosh, it's been so long, but I'm thinking the first was air, water, temperature control. Privacy is on the list because she said, without privacy, we don't have safety and we can't, we can't unfold. It's fascinating. And at the end of her list, not the beginning, the end is community. Wow. What does that evoke? Oh, I love the one about privacy. I don't know. I think especially coming from like a Persian background or even, I don't even know, this might be true in other cultures as well, but especially for women, there's no such thing as like you having your own anything. I remember one time I told my mom, like, that's none of your business. It was when I was very, um, you know, in my rebellious stage. And I remember it was like, the biggest thing I'd ever said to her, but I, I was thinking about it and I was like, she never, her growing up, she never had her own. She, that was never a thing. Like everybody was always in her business. She never had her own anything. Hmm. She had no privacy. It was like, she belonged to everybody in the family. And I think that she some, she was like imparting that to me. And of course I had to create more boundaries because I was like, no, I, I know that I'm your daughter, but I'm also a, a, my own person. Smishi, <laughs> what an amazing revelation that you had because it wasn't taught to you and it came from yourself. I think I was quite late to that party. I mean, my family was in crisis when I was born and like all hands on deck. Um, was really what was required for all time. I think it took me many years after leaving home, many, many years. Uh, even I think I believed that community was an extension of my family, very dysfunctional. So, you know, if people needed something, I just simply, 
I literally arose to it. It could be 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I just got up and attended to a phone call or somebody ailing or somebody scared or somebody not feeling well, not realizing it would have kept till morning and I could have slept and then done a lot better by them. But I was thinking, you know, all for one, one for all <laughs> to my detriment. <laughs> but when others don't think the same way about you, you you're just going to wear down until threads, you know. That's another freedom is that you are here with everyone, but you are no one. You are yourself. Yeah. You have to take care of that container. Well, also, doesn't it make you feel free? Because I was somewhat responsible to at a very young age. And then when I got older, I was kind of upset that they allowed me to be responsible. Like the adults in my life allowed me to be responsible because I was so young. I should have never been responsible for all that stuff. And I think I remember thinking of that and going through the stage of anger and processing all that um, and then getting to the pain underneath it. And then sort of the freedom of like, I was never supposed to do that. So it just kind of makes you more aware of what you should be available for or what you can be available for and what you can't be because there's still versions of that in my life. Yes. Even though I'm not a kid, but there's more responsibility now because I'm not a kid and I have to advocate for myself and make that decision. Plus it's all relative. I mean, sometimes you you have to gauge it by your own awarenesses. Sometimes uh, something can be wait till morning, for example. And sometimes you just know that this is an emergency, it's urgent. And I also think the relativity has to, you have to include yourself in that arrangement and awareness because sometimes regardless of how urgent it is, you just can't arise at this time. Or there's too many needs of the same caliber at once. And the answer is you need more resources. It can't be you. And you have to have the freedom to assess what all that means. And Ooh, but that's so hard. So hard. Because you're also yeah. in survival. So you're very all or nothing. Yeah. Personally, I'm not gifted in that situation at all. There's a reason why I'm not an emergency worker, a front lines person. But I also think it's inevitable that every one of us will encounter such situations sooner or later, you know, plural, where you have to get better at assessing what to be done, when, with whom, who's like, for example, when you have children, um, you know, who is somebody who can hang on while somebody else cannot, who's crying crocodile tears. So you just like address them and comfort them, but you don't cater to it. And who else, if they cry at all, it is an emergency, you better drop everything you're doing. Uh, if one person doesn't eat, they're okay for an hour. If someone else doesn't eat, they can go, their blood sugar can drop, and now you have a crisis. Like you, you have to learn all these things in due time, according to what, you know, is in your life. Like you have dogs now, and you never had to think about dogs before. So now you can even like recognize the whine, how they're whining in the morning. Does this mean, uh-oh, this is an emergency, hurry up, open the doors. Or does this mean, I know, you just want to snuggle. Yeah, totally. 
It's really hard. And then freedom is the freedom to assess these things. It's not the freedom to escape or avoid responsibility. But I mean, it's such a big word. Hmm. I think it's a remarkable thing. I've shared this with you, but Margaret used to say that the ultimate state of a person, a true sign of freedom, was to be alone in a crowd. That was our ultimate state of evolution. And if you ever are in crowds of people, you can really see how challenging it is. I think especially for the feminine, the carriers of the feminine. We've always been taught to look after every single person, every cry, every whimper, every disgruntlement, every bit of anger. We're supposed to handle it, receive it, manage it, process it, take care of it. Um, People's emotional needs and physical needs, everything. To be alone in a crowd means you only assess what's yours to do. That's freedom. Mm. Do you agree or you think something different? Well, I I don't think something different, but I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm just trying to imagine that concept of being truly alone in a crowd. Yeah. I uh, explored in my practice every day and... It's a very long road. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very ever-changing practice. It's not like something you can get your certification in, because no sooner have you achieved it in one situation with one crowd than the dynamics change, and you're in another crowd. Like, what if it's a group of friends? What if it's a group of people who are all, every single one of them, in a state of crisis? Are you alone in that crowd now? Where do you go when you're free from all influences? Where do you go inside now? Can you go inside to the same place the next time when it's an entirely different scenario? Well, but I don't understand because if you're in a group and, you know, say somebody is going through something, what if you want to be there for them? Then you interact from that place, but not from a place of feeling compelled to or reacting, but a place of freedom. Right, right, right. Ooh, give me some more examples of that. That's good. (laughs) Well, for example, my dad, you know, who we lovingly call the Zen master, he's done transcendental meditation since I was 11. So really decades and decades and decades. And I remember he was so good at it right away. And he meditates twice a day. And as kids, we could come in there, make a bunch of noise, even crawl over him. And he didn't get disturbed. But later he said he could hear us. It's just that he didn't feel a need to respond to us. So that's an example to me of being inside and alone, but amongst others. Whereas if there had been an emergency, he would have come out of his state of meditation and responded. Yeah. Okay. God, I love that. That's such a, that's like one of those things to me that's such a, it's such a subtle thing, but it's such a huge thing. Yes. It's so huge. But I also with compassion, understand why the masculine doesn't respond 
to others at all. Really, it's it's so much more. And I'm not saying this is true of all. Um, I think males have literally been programmed for very specific responses in specific situations, just like the feminine is responsible for people's needs. I think the masculine has its own set of pre-prescribed rules and dogmas it's been following automatically uh, without the same freedom to go inside and be alone in your freedom and be alone with yourself. But that means being at peace with yourself. Like, for example, today we have, I think, at all time, really numerically speaking, we probably in our civilization have the most distractions now as we've ever had, ever. Uh, Because, you know, of our technologies, we've got distractions 24-7 at our fingertips. Uh, We also have access to other distractions like substances to alter our feelings and our moods and our experience. So we don't have to be ourselves alone and free to be that. Do you think that that's why it's so hard to be alone? Because because we're not free or we haven't figured out we can be free? Well, I think we don't know we must be free. And that being alone is how you come here and how you leave here and everything in between here. You can experiment with things, but an experiment should not come at the cost of losing what you are. Because if you lose what you are, now no distraction will ever help. You'll never escape. Because you're always going to encounter the very thing you're trying to escape. The more you avoid it, the more it will find you. So we have to be completely free to be ourselves at all times. That's a square A, you know, human 101. We have to start there. But I do think so much is about the pressure to pursue being free to be all that we can be. And when you've been made to feel possibly that you cannot be, you know, you're not valued, I think that's why some people pursue liberty, you know? And nobody wants to be something false. Nobody wants to be beholden to someone else's idea of what they are. You know, unless you're the very few that is so distant from their true self, that you enjoy being able to play the game of fitting the approval of the powers that be, fitting into that dogma, becomes a game and a distraction of its own. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, I remember when I went to school, you know, like elementary school, junior high, there obviously, like all of us, there were some things that came quite naturally and some things that were like blood, sweat, and tears, you know? And um, I could have done, and I did arrange to do art and music and writing uh, and literature all day, every day, as long as I possibly could extend it. And I loved mathematics like a language of poetry. But when mathematics became something, else. It got so laborious. I found, I was like, wait, I thought this was supposed to be freedom to uncover everything, not if you don't do it this way, 
you don't get to access all that really exciting discovery. And I remember thinking that, and I was talking to this teacher about it, and he said to me, Julie, don't confuse the love of learning, which you have, with people who just know how to give teachers what they want. That's a different skill set. There are some who just simply are very good at learning whatever dogma you give them. That's why they're getting A's, you know? Yeah, because you actually have a love for learning. And he's like, I bet if I asked any of the students about previous tests, they wouldn't know the answers at all. If I asked them about previous chapters, if I asked them about previous concepts, they wouldn't know anything at all. And in the meantime, you've actually read like five other books about the subject and you would love to talk about it. That's so true. That's like me. I don't remember anything. I just did what I had to do. Well, there was a lot of things that I really wasn't interested in learning about, like math. But what were you interested in? Well, the things that I was interested in, I did learn. I did learn about, for sure. And not only that, Smishy, you're a field researcher about like human cultures and the enigmatic parts of communication, you pick up on that like a triple PhD. And you always have been that way. You see the nuances of how we communicate, what we communicate, what is being conveyed, what makes something lasting, what doesn't. You're actually so very gifted. Uh, And all the years of school, that's what you were learning. Yeah, not what they were teaching me. (laughs) but interpersonal stuff oh my gosh big time yeah in some way our entire quest for everybody is to figure out how to be free how to not allow financial situations Mm -hmm. to keep you back or how to allow you know even being a parent or you know Mm -hmm. your your responsibilities in that way or you know, for me, it's owning a business or, you know, it's, there's all these things that we're beholden to, or even our families, you know, family responsibilities. Mm. And how they, they change and evolve if they're healthy and how some of them don't, if they're not healthy. And then you have to re-examine your freedom. Yeah. And especially the concept of mutuality of purpose and reciprocity, not like I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but I mean, what does the highest form of mutuality in any given family look like? What are your roles? If you're always the one doing certain works, then that's going to be showing you where you're not free to be functional. It's too dysfunctional. Totally. And uh, I think... I just think it's such an enormous thing to explore, kind of like exploring truth. It's enormous, and it's going to be something we do for the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's so interesting. Mushi, thank you for the freedom to explore freedom. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for our next installment. Yeah. Smushy. Yeah. Love you, Smushy. Bye. 
And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time.